electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and put days like today in some sort of context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. After the third straight beatdown in a row, Dow plunging 630 points, S&P plummeting 2.78%, and the Nasdaq nosediving 4.11%. It's tempting to try to learn something from the big bone crushers of the past so we can apply those bone crushers to the future. No two sell-offs are totally alike, but there can be similarities. Take the dot-com bust, which is the one that most people talk about. We had a a huge lead-up, the endless run from 1998 to March of 2000, followed by a rapid meltdown. Is that what's happening here now? Now that the Nasdaq's fallen 10% from its highs, I'm hearing about that buzz all day. Okay, at the beginning of 1998, the Nasdaq Composite stood at 1,585. 1,585. It then roared to 5,100 by March of 2000 and then plummeted to 3,155 by May. Fast forward to 19 years ago and a round trip to 1,585. It is your worst nightmare. Of course, there are other horrendous sell-offs from the past 40 years. The 87 crash averages were cut in half in a few hours' time. Financial crisis a dozen years ago. Dallas laid to waste, plunging from 14,000 down to 6,500. Then there's the COVID crash from earlier this year. Dow tumbled from 29,568 at the February highs to just above 18,000 in March lows. Nasdaq sank from 9,838 to 6,631. But it's that rebound from the March lows that's drawing comparison to the dot-com era. The Nasdaq surged 82% from bottom to its highs just in the last week, okay? For many portfolio managers who are around for the dot-com era, this is the kind of move that reminds them too much of 1998 to 2000. That move right there is what got so much fear that it's palpable. Now, last week I called in from vacation to make the point that no two sellers are the same. But you know what is the same? This is what's the same. 
greed is the same. In other words, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. We know there are lots of new investors in this market. Between the $1,200 stimulus checks, the generous unemployment benefits through July, and the advent of commission-free trading, millions of younger people have been drawn to individual stocks. Generally speaking, I think it's a great thing. It's great that there are more people trying to benefit from the greatest engine of wealth creation in history, which is why I always welcome the newbies. And they initially weren't greedy. However, rookie investors tend to make rookie mistakes. They don't know the history. They don't know what they own. And if they got in during a bull market, they may not realize that stocks can actually go down, especially if they're acolytes of my friend Barstool's Dave Portnoy, who embraces the idea that stocks always go up. Now, obviously, it's tongue-in-cheek, but you know what I mean. Me? Well, you know what? I have too much history, and history tells me to be worried about greed. I always figured if we ever got to a situation that looked remotely similar to 2000, I made a promise to you, the viewer. I would tell you to take some realized gains. You can't just let it roll. You have to take something off the table, even if it's necessarily to get a little bounce tomorrow, even if it's not necessarily right here. <laughs> look, look at how far we've come. Greed. I don't like greed. All right. Now. We have been through a hideous three-day losing streak, and this is really the deciding moment right here. Other than a handful of big crashes, three days is usually when the selling dries up, particularly for tech, which has borne the brunt of this decline. I think the best-of-breed tech plays can rebound here after a sell-off in the morning. Get this little sell-off, people panic, Europe declines, and then I think you can do a little buying. But listen to me. Uh, even though we're entering a seasonally positive portion of what's historically been a terrible month for stocks, we've got to be careful. We get that lower opening tomorrow. I know my charitable trust will be a buyer, not a seller. We're kind of finished selling. Jesus, sold every text, something to every single tech stock we had, including some that I won't mention. But I still want to flesh out my comments from last week when I called it for vacation, not just because someone described me as looking like a tomato, which is deeply un- unfair to my beloved beefsteaks. We need to circle back, not because I want you to be afraid, but because at some point you have to declare victory on something, please. Now, let's say we were at the horse races. You put your money down. If you win, you collect. You go to the window. It's finite. If you decide to bet on an NFL game, you don't let it ride. You can't. You won. You go collect. Don't ask me how you collect. The stock market's different in the market. See, it's a different market. There's no window. There's no collection. The wager doesn't end until you decide to cash out. That's why I'm always telling you to take some profits uh, while, you, while you have them. You don't want to get too greedy. You want to be disciplined because discipline keeps your paper gains from turning into real losses. Unfortunately, every new generation of investors seems determined to learn the lesson the hard way. They don't want to cash out. They want to let their gains run. They think guys like me are silly fuddy duddies. like, I never did this myself. It's like they have no fear. Of course, they don't. They have no fear because young people think they're invincible. It's the oldest story in the world. Uh, so listen, if you're part of this rookie cohort, believe me, I get it. You had all these grizzled money managers telling you to stay the heck away from the market during one of the greatest rises in history, March, April, May, June, July. Their fears turned out to be irrational. You made a fortune if you bet against them. They were the scaredy cats. You were the opportunist. You got it right. But you can now get it wrong unless you ring the register on something. 
I don't want to be one of those scaremongers. I'm just beginning. Uh, look, uh, here's what I'm doing. I'm telling you to have some discipline. I expect this market to have a near-term bounce, and discipline means you should sell something to that rebound. Not because the sky is falling. It isn't. Simply because letting all your gains ride is insane. By all means, leave something on the table. And if you have some spare cash, maybe if you just dodge a 10% decline, do something. But, uh, but I do want you to play with the house's money if you're up huge. First, why do I say this? Well, because when the market goes up this far, this fast, you're going to run into stocks that can't rally even when they report great results. And that's what happened to all sorts of terrific but overextended tech names last week, including a couple you'll hear from this show. Whenever you see that kind of action, it means you have to do some selling. That's a classic warning sign, even if the companies are great. Second, right now we're witnessing a rotation that's all about a return to normalcy. What does normalcy mean? More travel, so the airlines are going higher. More dining out, so Chipotle and McDonald's and Darden do better. More shopping, so some of the down-out retailers that have been left behind can play catch-up. Sure, we have no vaccine yet, and a promising one from AstraZeneca was just put on hold because of an adverse safety event. That may cause some people to think, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be in the trials. But you have to admit that things are getting better in the economy. You might think it's weird that we got a terrific employment number last week and it caused the market to get hammered. But that's because big institutional money managers tend to abandon high-flying tech stocks when it looks like business is picking up. Instead, they swap into companies that thrive when the economy accelerates. We also call them the cyclicals. Problem is, tech's gotten so big and the cyclicals have gotten so small that this rotation's crushing the averages. Third, when we get back from Labor Day and election year, politics becomes front and center. Right now, Biden's leading him while he's no Bernie Sanders. If anything, Biden's about as business-friendly as Democrat can get. He still wants to roll back Trump's corporate and capital gains tax cuts. That means lower earnings per share and lower profits, uh, net profits to you. Whether or not you think that's good policy, it's a concrete negative. Finally, there's so much money in so few stocks, amplified by so many stupid ETFs. I went through them. Those people who issue those should be ashamed. It's entirely possible for big declines in Tesla, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook to pull down the entire S&P 500. Bottom line, when we rebound from this sell-off, of which I think we will because it does tend to happen, I'm insisting that you take something off the table into a bounce. Not because you're afraid, not because I'm afraid, but because it's rational. When you win big at the casino, you don't go all in on the next hand. You cash in some of those chips and buy yourself a nice sweater. Or maybe, if you really hit it, one of those Brad Pitt sports jackets from Bioni. Wow, there's something. Bob in New York. Bob. Hey, Jim. How are you today? I am doing well, Bob. How about you? I'm doing, well, I could be doing better, Jim. All right. Well, the Tesla's got everybody upset. Tesla, Tesla, (laughs) Tesla. I haven't mentioned Tesla once. I just mentioned it three times. Go ahead. And I'm not going to mention it either. Hey, Jim, right after the pandemic sell-off, I called you and I asked you if Microsoft was in the same category as Apple, and that being own it, don't trade it. Your answer was yes. With an 11-point loss today, but with a possible TikTok acquisition pending, is your answer with or without TikTok still yes? Uh, yeah, I think Saudi Nadella is terrific. I think that that's the kind of stock you buy tomorrow morning until a week or opening. Uh, Microsoft is the kind of company, if you get that at 198, 195, that would be just sensational. But even if it just opens right here, I would do some buying. Let's go to Mark in Michigan. Mark. Hello, Jim. Love your program. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. I've been buying Occidental Petroleum and Boeing, and day trading radio recommended them. I'd love to know what you think, and even oil in general. Um, I wouldn't touch Oxy. Uh, no. 
I mean, Oxy's a dry hole. I would not touch that one at all. As a matter of fact, I I think that that's actually a dangerous stock. Uh, And when I say a dangerous stock, that means I think you have to sell. Let's go to Jeffrey in Massachusetts. Jeffrey. Hi, Jim. Thank you for having me on today. I've been watching a while, and I love what you do. Today, I'm interested in owning a new stock, UTZ Brands, that recently underwent a special acquisition merger with Collier Creek Holdings. With all the uncertainty and extreme volatility in today's market, I want to own a relatively stable and secure company with a great record over the years. Do you believe that this company, UTZ, can withstand the pandemic and is one that I should own in my portfolio for the long term? Um, I, I work with uh, Jeff Marks and Isabel FEMA at my travel trust at ActionAlertsPlus.com, and I suggested that we actually buy OATS after they came on the show. It's too small for the trust to own, but I think you're on to something. I think that regional and national OATS with those great potato chips and the fantastic cheese balls I am not getting is just going to be a fantastic brand to take across the country. UTZ is for me. All right, this sell-off begs you to learn from those of the past. When we rebound from this hideous action, and maybe as early as tomorrow morning after the opening, we get to selling from Europe, you know, this is when you got to go to the window, all right? Mad Money tonight. Is Twitter interested in a TikTok tie-up? There's something new. I'm going to be talking to the top brass. Then, what's working and what hasn't worked during the COVID-19 index when it was, uh, let's just say, it's going to shock you. I'm going to give you my take. And time to strike on CrowdStrike after an incredible quarter? I've got the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. What do we do with the high-flying social media stocks now that the Nasdaq's getting hammered? Consider the case of Twitter. 
Here's a stock that was almost cut in half when the pandemic first hit. And everyone freaked out about advertising. Twitter plummeted to 20 bucks in March, but by last week it surged more than 120% to a new high of 44 and change. That was a remarkable move, especially since the company had a high-profile security breach in July and reported some not-so-hot numbers a couple weeks later. Well, none of the negatives mattered, though, at least until this latest tech sell-off, including today's 4.2% decline. Remember, I told you to take some profits in your winners because uh, before I went on vacation, uh, that was a week and a half ago. So what do we do with, with the stock? I mean, is it a temporary pullback given the fact that the daily average users were so great or are people looking at earnings? Let's check in with Ned Siegel. He is the CFO of Twitter to get a better sense about his company's holding up. Mr. Siegel, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Well, Ned, first of all, congratulations on the strongest user growth off the charts, best in show since the company came public. How did it happen? Well, we were thrilled with 34% year-over-year growth in monetizable daily active usage. We grew to 186 million people using Twitter on average every day in Q2. This is from a steady drumbeat of making the product better every day. That means making it easier to find the things you're looking for, making it easier for you to be part of a conversation. Now you can follow topics. 50 million people follow a topic on Twitter where we do the hard work for you to find the things that you're looking for. Now, can we continue to believe then that the July uh, trajectory included August? Well, we were really pleased, if you look at all of Q2, that we held on to that big surge that we saw in March where a lot of people's habits changed because of shelter and place rules. And they kept coming back to Twitter, whether it was 150 million people around the world coming to our COVID-19 resources that were specific to their country, or because they wanted to do a watch party around the last dance. This stuff was was great that people were able to find what they were looking for on Twitter. And we'll keep working hard to make the product better and better so they keep coming back. You know something, Ned? You're the uh, keeper of the finances. I was... Uh, pleased to see that you had approximately, at the end of the quarter, long term your, your note, $7.8 billion in cash. And I started thinking you got some great code writers, you got real smart management, $7.8 billion in cash, time to buy TikTok. Well, I know there are some rumors about us being interested in TikTok. And although we don't comment on specific rumors, this is one our 13-year-old daughter has been asking me about a lot. Any So... First, I'll remind you, we've done about a dozen acquisitions over the last year and a half or so. They're mostly people. Sometimes they're technology. And every once in a while, we think about products or businesses that can help us accelerate our priorities. So anytime there's something big, there's something that can help us accelerate our priorities, you shouldn't be surprised if you hear our name mentioned as an interested party. Well, yeah, General Atlantic out there, they would love to be your partner. They love you guys. I mean, next thing I know, your 13-year-old is going to be proven correct. Well, anything that will help us serve the public conversation better is something that we're always interested in thinking about how it makes more sense for us to partner around or, or if there's something that makes more sense than that. That's certainly not a denial. I like that. OK, let me ask you about something that you guys have cared passionately about. You have been saying you do not take political ads. Uh, you've been trying to fact check the president. I got a way for you to handle this, Ned. Why not just make it so no candidates, whether either party who are running for president, are able to tweet for, say, six weeks? How about that idea? No fact check because no tweet. Well, Jim, our purpose is to serve the public conversation. That means whether it's about baseball, politics, or something else that people are passionate about, we want people to be able to see all sides of a conversation. We want them to be able to be a part of the conversation. And we want them to be able to opine on other people's perspectives around the conversation. And so if people weren't able to tweet 
and they were following our rules, uh, we feel like that might take away from the conversation as opposed to contributing to it. We're really proud of the evolution of our policies and how we've been able to enforce them consistently to build trust with the people who use Twitter, with our content partners and with advertisers. Fair enough. Now that you know, I don't like to uh, get together with you without bringing you something because you always bring us something. and I appreciate that. So I'm going to solve your problem about non-ad revenue. You're going to do gambling because that's being in the stadium. You tell people over and over again, if you're in the stadium, you know what people want to do in the stadium? They want to gamble. They want to gamble on football. They want to gamble on fantasy. Will you give it to us and we'll pay? Well, I'll tell you one thing we have noticed during the pandemic is we have become the stadium for sports. Whether it's the tweets that are on the boards behind the players for the NBA, the watch parties that people are doing around sports-related events, all of the conversation that is amplified on Twitter uh, because people can't be in person for those events, we're always looking for ways to contribute to that conversation. We'll probably start in other places, Jim. We've talked recently about subscriptions, both for consumers and for businesses. I want your restaurants to be able to have a presence on Twitter, which we'd be delighted to take your credit card to help you stand up. Uh, But we've got some work to do first as we think through those opportunities. I would love this. Your mayor won't let them open, which is often really bad for business. Uh, But now let's talk about the small, medium sized business. Jack says you're you want to do it. You're not there yet. You've got to get more small, medium size along with your direct response. Where are you? That's great revenue. I think you're letting a lot of it go to Sarah Fryer, your buddy Sarah Fryer over there at the uh, next door. Why don't you get some of that for yourself? Well, Sarah's doing a great job, but we think there's a lot of room for all of us to help small businesses find their customers. We've done work over the last year and a half to rebuild our ad server. That's the foundation for all of our work around ad products. With that work behind us, we've staffed some small business work now where we'll uh, help them find their customers on Twitter. We'll help them launch their campaigns easier than we have in the past. We really haven't resourced this the way that we should have in the past. And as we put more resources against these things, I think it will bear fruit. Now, advertising, I mean, it's pretty much of a bargain. As you say on the call, prices have gone down. I mean, I don't care whether it's for movies or drive-ins. I don't care whether it's something, you know, the, uh, the virtual conversations. Uh, this is a great time to advertise. You're getting a lot more bang for your buck than you did even two years ago. Well, a couple things have happened. We have a much larger audience now than we did before for an advertiser to reach. And then their needs have changed. If you're launching a movie direct to your video service, there are fewer ways for you to reach your customers where they can click through and participate. You're doing live watch parties for trolls for the last dance. You're finding other ways to get people to download your app so that you can interact with them. I'll give you a great example. When Sony launched the PlayStation 5, they had 90% more tweets than they would have had previously from 50% more people, and they got four times the reach that they would have otherwise expected. That's a game changer relative to where we were just six or nine months ago. Well, I'll give you another game changer. When you did that machine learning artificial intelligence to be able to spot the people who are abusive, as someone who tweets a lot, thank you. It, it cut it down dramatically. I don't, I'll never understand the algos, Ned, but you did it. Congratulations. We feel really good about the impact we've had on people who use Twitter a lot, where we're challenging three times as many accounts a week as we used to, where we're detecting the behaviors of spammy and suspicious accounts and removing them and preventing them from amplifying things that don't deserve amplification. It gives everybody a better experience, allows you to trust the information you see, makes you feel safe being a part of the conversation. 
I want to talk about, uh, go back to this notion, Thursday night is football, right? How do you envision this year on Twitter that Thursday night game versus two years ago? Well, one of the great things about Twitter is we're a companion to the game. So you can be watching the game on your screen and looking down. And since you're not at the stadium, since you're not at the sports bar, this is where you're going to interact with the experts. It's where you'll get to interact with your friends and other fans. And in our cases, where our teams may be playing each other, we can interact with each other. And sometimes we'll learn something that we didn't know. Sometimes we'll hear a different perspective. And other times we may just be ribbing each other. But this constructive dialogue is just like being at the stadium. Two years ago, that was still evolving. It was evolving with a smaller audience. It was evolving without the leagues really appreciating all of the ways that they could leverage Twitter as a real partner and a second screen for them. Well, it's working, Ned. I want to thank you again. Congratulations on that dramatic increase in users. You deserve it. I know how hard you work. Ned Siegel, CFO of Twitter. Good to see you, sir. Thanks, Jim. Ned Money's back in for break. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No tech's been getting shelled for three days in a row, but keep in mind that this decline comes after a period of spectacular outperformance, as I talked about at the top of the show. Not long after the pandemic ground the economy to a halt, we created the Kramer COVID-19 index of stocks that we thought could thrive in this not-so-brave new world. We put 100 stocks into this list, but you can really break them down into two groups, the ones that benefit from the stay-at-home economy and the ones that work in a recession. Remember, we created the index in April when unemployment was at nearly 15%. Nearly five months later, the work-from-home tech stocks have given you extraordinary gains. While the traditional slowdown stocks, they laid an egg. This is a very important dynamic, one that may elude many newbies, so we've got to do some teaching here. It's why I want to drill down on the biggest winners in our COVID-19 index, especially since many of these stocks pulled back hard today, and some of them are pretty darn good. The best performer is Fastly, with a stock that's up 253% since we created the index. This is what's known as a content delivery network. Fastly ensures that things can run smoothly over the internet, whether we're talking about applications, streaming video, mission-critical enterprise software, high-profile clients, Amazon, New York Times, Pinterest, Stripe, Slack, Shopify. While Fastly's still very expensive here, it is a textbook stay-at-home economy play. Number two is Livongo. We feature them multiple times. Digital health coach that's merging with Teladoc to create a full-service online healthcare system. 
Now, Livongo helps people with diabetes and hypertension. They live healthier lives. So COVID has been huge for them because it, those are major risk factors. Teladoc's one of the leading players in telemedicine. Seeing your doctor via video chat rather than in person. I love this combination. No wonder Livongo's up 200% since we created the COVID index. Third, there's Peloton up 170%. Now, I know a lot of people are skeptical of this company makes connected exercise equipment. But with gyms closed, it's the best way to work out. Peloton just unveiled a new bike, cut prices, driving its stock up more than 6% today. Number four is Square. It's up 124%. Now, I think this payment technology stock's been gaining adherence because money managers want to own financials with minimal credit risk. They also want something that enables digital payments. I've been pushing Square since 12 bucks, but I simply can't like it as much at 130 and not when so many of their small business customers are likely to go under now that the Paycheck Protection Plan's ending. They've got an amazing payment ecosystem, but small businesses are bad clients to have right now. Meanwhile, the big banks still act horribly because of credit risk and an inability to make much money with interest rates this low. Fifth is Zoom, <laughs> of course. Hey, incredible that it's not number one, isn't it? 2020's been the year of Zoom. They're now making the kind of money that nobody expected from them for years. They've gone from zero to household name in, the household, in a blink of an eye. Even when we beat COVID, Zoom's here to stay. Six, there's Twilio, up 105%. Now, this is an enterprise software play that helps app developers communicate with their own clients. They make it easier for companies like Lyft and Airbnb to send you texts. Seven, Zscaler is a top-performing cybersecurity play. It's up 97%. Uh, partners, by the way, often uh, with CrowdStrike. Eight is DocuSign. This one took a header when it reported last week. But, but even after the recent slacking, still nearly double since we created the index. DocuSign makes it possible to sign contracts, close deals remotely. Fabulous work from home play. The quarter was amazing. Nobody cared. Nine is David Dog. It's a fabulous analytics company. It does cloud monitoring. And finally, 10, Wix.com. It helps small businesses create the websites they need in an environment where it's digitized or die. What do these winners have in common? They're technology companies that help us cope with the pandemic. And while they've all been crushed over the last few days, I think many can bounce. How about the losers from the Kramer COVID-19 index? This is extraordinary. Worst performer is Gilead. The maker of remdesivir, an actual treatment for COVID, down nearly 20%. Counterintuitive? No. One of my favorite health insurers, Centene, down 19%. Uh, also in this uh, tough group to own is Eli Lilly. Amazing drug company, off 8%. Nearly all the pharma stocks are performing horribly, including Kramer, Fabe, J&J. Cherry on top is Campbell's Soup. They've reported an amazing quarter. a blowout. Didn't matter. This self is making you feel like the great stockpiling is over. I'm not sure, though. I think we've trained a whole generation to feed themselves at home. Supply issues hurt Campbell's much more than demand. But you know what? There's not enough demand for Campbell, Campbell's stock. What's the takeaway here? I think it makes sense. It makes sense because the recession stocks are untouchable when you have unemployment going from 14.7% in April to 8.4% in August. Housing, even air travel coming back. But the pandemic's not going away. And that means all these digitization stocks are worth picking into what I like to be a 5 to 7% pullback. And that's where you accumulate the falling. All right, much more man money ahead, including my sit-down with CrowdStrike. I mentioned that uh, they like to work with Zscaler. And another tough day for tech stocks. I'm wondering if it's worth starting to, well, let's just say, be opportunistic. Plus, the business of reopening. I'm going one-on-one with the governor of Rhode Island. Find out about a plan that spans the small state and beyond. Hey, she wants masks mandatory. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. After yet another hideous session, terrible, 
Is there perhaps a light at the end of the tunnel? Funny thing happened today. Many high-profile tech names got clocked at the open and then rebounded substantially from their lows. We saw it with Salesforce. We saw it with Zoom video. But, but you know what the best one was? Kramer filed strike. The cloud-based cybersecurity outfit with a stock that plunged 5% this morning for turning around and closing the day in positive territory. Now, we know the cybersecurity stocks have been huge winners for the stay-at-home economy. I think this is one of the changes that won't be rolled back even once we get past COVID. Beyond that, though, CrowdStrike's got a major ace up its sleeve. See, last Wednesday, last Wednesday night, the company reported an astounding quarter, delivering nearly 90% revenue growth. Surprise profit raised full-year forecasts. Unfortunately, reported right before the huge tech sell-off. So the stock got run over. It was trading at 142 before the quarter's down, 125, even after today's slight rebound. Look, this thing's still far from cheap, and I'd like it even more on weakness, of course. It's just that the action today suggests the weakness could be short-lived. Don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with George Kurtz. He's the co-founder and CEO of CrowdStrike. Learn more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Kurtz, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to be here. Thank you, Jim. All right, so George, this was a remarkable quarter, and the reviews are in. Davidson, unmatched growth. Jeffries, beat, raise, rinse, repeat. Piper, records are made to be broken. Strong second quarter. JPM, other than Zoom, this was the most impressive quarter this earnings season has seen. Okay, so what, uh, what explains how you have visibility and almost no other company does? Well, Jim, as we talked about in the past, I think it goes back to security being a must-have. Whether you're at home, whether you're in the office, you're going to need security. And we've seen certainly companies, as they've gone through their digital transformation process, really focus on security. And they've taken uh, basically a step back and said, if you're going to have security, digital transformation, you have to have security transformation. And that's really what we've seen. It's a security transformation from these companies. Now, the two companies I most want to be affiliated with, if you, you just described what you did, are Amazon Web Services and Zoom. They are great partners of yours, aren't they? They are, yeah. We've been a, a long-term partner with uh, AWS. Uh, great technology, great go-to-market with them, and uh, really excited to continue along. We just got some new features we announced today, uh, so you can take a look at that. And then also with Zoom, you know, Part of what I talked about on the conference call is CrowdStrike's ability to protect cloud workloads. And I think when people look at this industry, they sort of focus on desktops and servers, but the cloud workload protection is a total greenfield opportunity. We have one of the most robust and advanced offering in the industry, which is why Zoom picked us to protect their critical infrastructure. Now, also Pokemon did. And I think this is a very interesting concept for us that you can explain. I first said, are you kidding me, like video games and and cybersecurity? It's a big business, isn't it? It is a big business. If you think about everyone staying at home, they were playing video games. And uh, there's a lot of currency that happens online, certainly within video games. And it's, it's obviously, uh, you know, a hot topic right now. So protecting those critical infrastructures for video games is as important as protecting infrastructures for other industries like financial services. Lots of money moving around, lots of technologies need to be protected. So, George, uh, I, there was a chilling uh, number in your uh, conference call. You stopped 41,000 potential breaches in the first half of the year. Who is doing this, George? Is it state spawn? Can we find them? Can we arrest them? Can we stop them? Well, I, I wish we can find arrest all of them. So we really break it down into three categories. You have nation state actors, which, as you might imagine, are the, some of the largest countries around the world. You have e-crime. These are the, 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 the cyber crime uh, folks that are encrypting your hard drive and then extorting you. And then you have hacktivism, people trying to make a statement. I can tell you one area where we've really seen an increase is in e-crime. 
Um, lots of companies that have antiquated technologies, outdated signature technologies getting encrypted and then having to pay the ransom to get their data back. It's uh, it's a big business on the Internet right now. If I uh, knew who was, would I recognize some of the names? Because I know it's pretty uh, it's kept pretty secret. Well, there's a lot of groups that are out there, obviously, uh, and there's a lot of countries that are involved in this. So it's the usual suspects, as you might imagine. But what people don't realize, again, is how organized this is. I mean, they actually have multi-levels of support, bilingual support, videos to be able to pay in Bitcoin. Most people have no idea how to pay in Bitcoin. They have to watch a video to actually figure out so they can get their data back. And it's all supported by the e-crime actors. They actually make it very easy to do that. Now, when I see, for instance, that uh, there's an airline, airlines are all strapped. They went and sped, I don't know which one because you were uh, private about it, but they went and, and hired you uh, during a period where I don't think they have any money to do anything. So this is obviously an imperative, even for an airline, where they try and people hack it and get my ticket? Well, absolutely. This, this uh, airline uh, switched off uh, a vendor was on premise, uh, wasn't meeting their needs, and they wanted to go to the cloud. And really what they want to do is save a lot of money. The big part of our sale is ROI. We can consolidate three, four, five different agent technologies out there and sometimes get a payback within three to six months. So even in a cash-strapped industry, we've shown that we can actually sell security because it's a much better value proposition, better outcomes, lower cost overall. Now, I know I saw the acceleration in revs. Some people said, well, maybe it's this 55. You did not have the billing growth to equal to the revs. And so, therefore, there will be a slowdown. I think that given the fact that you gave guidance, that's impossible. Am I right? Well, the the thing is, Jim, we focus on ARR. We don't even manage the business to billings. Billings is a proxy to get to ARR. So we're giving you the ARR, which most companies don't actually give you. Right. Right. So from... From, uh, from our standpoint, if you look at the RPO and you look at the backlog, they're up triple digits. So that's what you need to focus on is a record ARR growth for the quarter. I could not agree more. And I think the people who are looking at anything else are, uh, frankly, just trying to justify why a stock went down when you have the report on the worst day of the year. Well, you know, timing sometimes in your favor, sometimes it isn't. But, you know, for CrowdStrike, we're really focused on the long term and you know, some ups and downs a day here or there. It doesn't make a difference to us. You know, we continue to build growth and have happy customers and even record number of customers this quarter, uh, which is really what matters. Well, look, remember, it may, be, it may be opportunity for the people who don't own the stock, which is what you want. You want them in the stadium. George Kurtz, CEO of CrowdStrike, congratulations on maybe the best quarter when it comes to the uh, recurring revenue. Good to see you, sir. Great to see you. Thank you. May have money's back after the break. Before we start the lighting round, I want to draw your attention to a very special event happening right after Mad Money tonight. It's called the Path Forward Race and Opportunity in America. And I do not want you to miss this. John Fort and Andrew Ross Sorkin are tackling some critical issues with brilliant minds. So please be sure you tune in 7 p.m. Eastern. And now it is time. It is time for the lighting round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, skiing daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Howard in Illinois. Howard! Jim, a big hoo from Chicago. Can't beat that. 
can't beat that. Yeah. Love Chicago. My, my question is, in Viva Partners, they make wood pellets a substitute for coal. Yes, they do, and I like biomass. I do worry, sir. I do worry when I see that almost 8% yield. But, yes, I'm, I'm in favor. I'm telling you, after what I'm seeing in California, I am all in on these environmental stocks, even if they have a lot of risk. Ryan in Connecticut. Ryan! Hey, Jimmy Chill. How are you? I am good. How about you? Uh, I'm Ryan Highstrung over here in Connecticut. I, uh, I'm calling about... First, let me uh, thank you for really having our backs and everything. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um, I'm Highstrung because I got E-H-P-H, E-Health. Uh, over the last two years, it's made a run from 50 to 150. And in the last... Uh, Two months, it nearly cut in half from its high. Yeah, well, you know, we had them on. The CEO bought some stock, but it was quizzical that the CEO uh, was quitting at the same time. I uh, Now, obviously, he had given notice for it, but it was announced after the interview, and I, I, it raised eyebrows. How about that? Let's go to Cliff in New York. Cliff! Hey, Mr. Kramer. This is Dr. Cliff Tice from the beautiful Catskill Mountains in Sullivan County, New York. Fantastic. I am the last of the country doctors but a first-time caller requesting your expertise. I heard from some colleagues about a company I'm thinking of buying stock in. It's a very recent IPO, Nano X Imaging, symbol N-N-O-X. Yeah, this is very new, and I've got to do some... Doc, I cannot just uh, cuff this. You're too strong, uh, and I'm delighted that you call in from the Catskill, Sullivan County, so I'm going to give you more than just a cuffed answer that it sounds good. I will come back and thank you. How about Zach in Florida? Zach! Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah. Curious what you think about 1-800-Flowers. You know, it's, it's done... It's always out there doing a good job. I mean, what can I say? I, I, every time I've ever said that it's not worth owning, it continues to go higher. It's not a, that expensive a stock now that it's coming down. But it's eh. It's eh to me. I wish there were more to it than eh. How about Evan in Massachusetts? Evan. Hey, Jim. Welcome to Jungle. How are you doing? Good. How about you? I have uh, two quick questions for you about Lulu. Um, first is about their margins. After watching Nike ditch a lot of their big retail partnerships in order to streamline the direct-to-consumer channel, do you see Lulu being able to maintain higher margins moving forward? Okay, so here's the problem. I always tell people we got to listen to conference call. Well, here I am. I'm doing the show while the conference call's on. All I can tell you is, is that the headline numbers were good, but that's not enough. You deserve better. So let me listen to the call tonight. I'll come back, and we will have comment tomorrow. Alex in Pennsylvania. Alex! Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Uh, hey, man. Chill man interested. <laughs> Long time, first time. I am a millennial, and I am very interested in your thoughts on buying, selling, or holding Camping World. We're huge Marcus Ramona's fans. Now, the stock did go up 10% today on one single push. That said, they are in the sweet spot. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Welcome to the most dangerous back-to-school season in history. I know everybody, everybody wants things to go back to normal, but the last time we lowered our guard with this pandemic, we got a huge outbreak in the South and Southwest. I don't want to belabor the pointer, but America has not done a great job of handling COVID-19. 
However, when you zoom down to the state and local level, you can find plenty of success stories. We need to learn from them, which brings me to Rhode Island. Ocean State, and the one state in the Northeast that managed to effectively contain the first wave of the virus, and that's done a very good job of keeping infections down since then, especially given its close population that, well, let's just say it's probably number one in the country. Now, Rhode Island has a plan to safely reopen schools next Monday, so let's check in with Gina Raimondo. She's the former venture capitalist turned governor of Rhode Island, also in the Crimson, like me at Harvard, to figure out how our country can start going back to normal responsibility. Responsibly. Governor Raimondo, welcome back to Mayor Money. Happy to be here. Oh, terrific. All right. Well, look, I'm so thrilled to have you because the last time we, we had you on, you were far ahead of the game in suppressing. Uh, you had the best numbers. You in- insisted everybody wear masks. Now you're taking another step forward. Uh, yes, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. You're the only one thinking like that. Tell me about this amazing back-to-work program and what it means for people who may not have the credentials but have the skills. Yeah. Uh, what it means is a job. So it's more than just the traditional train and pray, you know, train people and pray they get a job. This is this is a serious solution to a serious problem, Jim. You know as well as I do that we have millions of Americans out of work, tens of thousands here in Rhode Island, and many of them are folks that were already left behind. Maybe they only had a high school degree. Maybe they had didn't have technology skills. Maybe they struggled, uh, took some time out of the workforce to take care of a child. These are the folks hit hardest in COVID. So what we're doing is we're using some of our COVID relief monies to partner with companies, companies who are helping us design the training programs. And here's the key piece of it. They are promising and pledging to hire the folks that come out of these training initiatives. So the big difference is there is a promise of a job at the end of the training. All right. So, Governor, when I see companies like Twitter, which was on earlier, Salesforce, Amgen, uh, Raytheon, I think advanced degrees. I think why even bother? I think that these are companies that if I don't have a master's, forget about it. How can you convince them that your people are worth hiring? So that's the kind of the secret sauce of this. And I, I have spent a lot of time with the CEOs of these companies. They are hiring thousands of people for jobs that don't require a college degree. Um, digital backbone jobs, customer service jobs, some HR jobs, sales jobs. You need training. You need technical ability. You need digital skills. You absolutely need additional training, credentials, as you said. But you don't necessarily need a college degree. Uh, And you also need to know some critical thinking, how to show up at work on time, some essential skills, soft skills. That's all the stuff that we are uh, training them for. By the way, we we went to the companies and said, where do you have open positions? What do folks need to know? How do we have to train them? They develop the training initiatives with us. It's a very collaborative public-private partnership, and we're providing support services. You, you know, people can't stop their life to go get trained to get a new job. If you need a hand with childcare, you need a hand with financial coaching. You need a hand with resume building. So we're providing that support in addition to the training. And we're, I'm committed to getting thousands of people back to work uh, because, frankly, these companies have open positions. You know, you talk to any CEO mm-hmm. in America, they are struggling to find the talent. So it really is a win-win. 
Okay, so Governor, this is obviously a nonpartisan uh, move, just like what you did in terms of of uh, keeping COVID down in your state. Do you go to Washington? Do you go to Vice President Biden? Do you go to Secretary Mnuchin and, and say, look, we, this is our chance. We can do this. Uh, we can take 8% unemployment down to 4% and, and give them your plan because your plan does not say, and we need a Democratic uh, contingent to run this. Thing. Yeah, I absolutely do. And I've reached across the aisle in my own state. I've talked to many Republican governors. This isn't politics. This is the brutal reality that there are millions of Americans struggling. They want to work. They have the talent to work. They Maybe they dropped out of college because it was too expensive. And if we don't get them retrained, they will have decades of unemployment and it will stunt the growth of our economy because businesses can't grow unless they can hire the talent that they need when they need it. So to me, this is just just a smart thing to do to get folks back to work. Federal response versus state response so far? I'm sorry, Jim? Uh, what do you think of the federal response versus the state response so far in our country? Well, uh, is there a federal response? You tell me. I don't see much of a federal response, which is well, why governors like me have to do what we need to do, which is get the job done. I reached out to business and labor and said, come on, we're not waiting for the federal government to get their act together. Let's get to work right here in Rhode Island and put thousands of people back to work. Okay, so Governor Mondo, I got a quiz for you. 30 <laughs> cases. What is 30 cases right now? Come on, back to school. Ca- back to school, 30 cases. The number know, of cases me. you have in all of your colleges in Rhode Island is only 30. It's the lowest I've found. Brown has one. URI, huge school, 17. Is this because of what you have created, which is an atmosphere where we basically say, if you're going to Rhode Island, you're going to get tested, you got to wear a mask, or get out? Yeah. Well, I definitely can't take all the credit. The university partners here, the college presidents, have been fantastic partners. Uh, but we're on the phone with them all the time. You know, I personally will get all the college presidents on the phone and say, if you want to reopen, here's what it has to look like. And we're working hand in glove with them to have testing programs, contact tracing, mask wearing. By the way, crack down on the partiers. We've been very clear with them. If kids want to party on campus, they're going to have, they'll be suspended or face punishment. So Anyway, the credit goes to the college presidents and the fact that they've collaborated so well with us. All right. Well, I'm going to just call you too humble. But I like that idea to give credit because it doesn't cost anything. That's Rhode Island's governor, Gina Raimondo. <laughs> Raimondo is so far ahead of everybody else. This kind of makes you, makes you kind of shake. Stick with Kramer. Let's take a breather here to talk about something so critical for our country right now. Coming up next, my friends and CNBC's best, John Ford and Andrew Ross Sorkin, are taking a closer look at the underrepresentation of black workers in America, talking potential solutions, ideas, and where we can go from here. Race and opportunity in America is a must-watch, and it's next, so do not go anywhere, please. I know I'm going to be watching. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The path forward, race and opportunity in America starts now. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.